0: In chapter 1, verse 1, this is Paul by the Holy Spirit, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God and Timothy our brother, to the church of God which is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in all Acacia. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you, Lord God, for, God, just your word. It's just always fresh. It's, you're always doing something new in our hearts through the word. And I just pray, Father, that you would continue that work this morning. Open our ears, our hearts, our minds, Lord. Father, we love you. But Lord, we're weak. We are so distracted, Lord. Lord, we just, each of us comes in here with a different set of baggage, Lord. And, and we, we came here this morning not so that we will continue to lay hold of it, Lord, but that we would, by the power of your Spirit, through your word, by the power that only you supply, that we can let go of it, Lord. Father, it's our desire to be a blessing to you, even as you bless us this morning through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, you may be seated. So, a new letter, praise God, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And so, I just want to briefly review where we've been, Acts chapter 18, is the story of the birth of the Corinthian church. Paul and a small group of believers had uh, come into the city in about 50 AD. He went into the synagogue, which was his practice. He went straight to the synagogue. And uh, there he declared to the Jews in Corinth that the long-awaited Messiah had come. And his name was Jesus. Acts 18, verse 4 says that he reasoned and persuaded uh, in the synagogue to the Jews every week. Without fail, he was there. Reading from the Jewish laws and the prophets and uh, no doubt reading in the hearing of all, uh, Isaiah 53, verses 5 and 6, he, the Messiah, was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. We all, like sheep, have gone astray, each to his own way, but the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Men and women of Israel, the wait is over, he no doubt declared. The Messiah has come. The Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. And now is the time for you to give your lives to Him. But they didn't receive it. Ever had someone in your life where You witness to them about the Lord, and their life is just an incredible mess. It's just one big heap of mess. And you have shared with them about the Lord. They just don't receive it. You just want to grab them and shake them. You know, don't you understand? Can't you see? Jesus is the solution to all your problems. Why are you laying hold of that worthless thing in your life, just let it go. Give it to Jesus. They just don't want to do it. And you just shake your head and, and stomp your feet and whatever, you know. I, you don't understand. Well, that was uh, how, no doubt, Paul was uh, with uh, the Corinthians. They, they just couldn't let go. They couldn't let go of the traditions. And, uh, and, and, you know, what is it, men and women of Israel, you don't understand here. Uh, uh, Jesus has fulfilled every jot and tittle of the law you read every Sabbath, of every week, of every year. It's time for you to give your life to him. They just didn't receive it. So in Acts chapter 18, we read, they just ran him out of the synagogue. And he was left we read there, just filled with fear, filled with confusion, filled with discouragement. And, you know, this was the last straw. If you look at the chapters immediately preceding Acts chapter 18, uh, Paul had been uh, in a thriving church in Antioch, which is about 400 miles north of Jerusalem. It's in modern-day Turkey. And, man, this place was just overflowing with fruit. I mean, people getting saved, walking with the Lord, there was just worship, there was just, just unbelievable energy there. And uh over time he felt led to to go out. Again. He had previously been uh going out, but he he led he was led to just go out again, and, and so he uh he left and he first went to Philippi. Acts chapter sixteen. And he was just basically just run out, beaten and run out of Philippi, and then he went to Thessalonica, and he's run out of Thessalonica, and then he went to Athens, and he was just mocked and rejected there, and then he went to here to Corinth, and he was rejected again. He was run out of the synagogue and he's at the bottom of the barrel and and no doubt he's thinking, Lord, I just don't get it. Why Why don't you just let me stay in Antioch? The church there was doing so well and no doubt Satan began to lie to him. Paul, man, you fleshed out. You never should have left that place. You did this all on your own strength. This was your idea. This wasn't God's idea. It was yours. And so he was at the bottom of the barrel. And in Acts chapter 18, we have that wonderful verse. It says uh, where the Lord says to Paul, do not be afraid. Continue to speak. Do not keep silent for I am with you and have many people who I am drawing to me in this city. So if you're here this morning and you've come to the place of, dis- point of discouragement in your life, what's the point? Uh, this Jesus thing, this giving of my life to the Lord's thing, has not turned out the way I thought it was going to be. and you're feeling just all washed up. What's the point? Be encouraged. The Lord is speaking to you this morning. Don't be afraid. Continue. Speak your faith, for He is with you. Live your faith. Be your faith. The Lord's going to do a work in your life. Psalm 138, verse 8, The Lord will complete that which concerns you. (laughs) Psalm uh, 37, Do not fret. It only causes uh, harm. Wait on the Lord. Keep his way, and he shall exalt you, and you will inherit the land. Continue on. The Lord is with you. And so the Lord said to Paul, I'm drawing many to myself in this city. And he did. The Lord was faithful. He raised uh, up a church, not amongst the Jews, but amongst the Gentiles. Now, these were no ordinary Gentiles. These were the Corinthians, the most notoriously immoral Gentiles in the world the sex capital of the world. In the Roman world, there was a, a term, Corinthian, a term that was used for a person who just had thrown off all inhibitions in the area of uh, morality. The, uh, the King James Version would describe their lives, uh, a Corinthian life, as a, as a riotous uh, life, a person who had been given over to riotous living. I tell you, when you're when you're a single person and your life is described as a riot, things aren't going very well for you, you know. That's what I love about the that, that King James, is so, it's so rich in the way it describes. But, but that is, is what they were known for throughout the entire Roman Empire, and, and Romans warned each other not even to go there. Romans being a very, very immoral people themselves, don't go to Corinth. But the Lord raised up a thriving church right in the middle of that. And, and he, uh, those people, uh, he describes uh, who they are in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He describes who the people that God raised up to, to form a church. He describes them in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And I, I read this a number of times. It says, do not be deceived, verse 8. Verse 9, in the middle of verse 9 of 1 Corinthians 6, Neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, sodomites, thieves, covetous, drunkards, revilers, or extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. i got to tell you, I never get tired of reading those verses because it's just a demonstration uh, of the power of God and and how He can work in my life, in your life, in the life of this city. And and God is in the business of saving the lost, the worst of the lost, and, and raising them up to be a living, breathing demonstration of his abundant, loving kindness. The church in Corinth was that very thing. So a church had been raised up. Paul left after a few years, went to Ephesus to begin a a new church. Paul was an uh, an apostle, which means a sent one. It's in the Greek, it means a sent one. Uh, A sent one was someone who was sent by Jesus to begin churches, to establish the foundation of the body of Christ. And so um, he went off to Ephesus. A new church was started while he was there. He received word that the church in Corinth was not doing well in a word. Uh, Corinth had crept back into Corinth. Corinth had crept back into Corinth. Never be fooled, ever that you are incapable of returning to the very life that God saved you from. Never believe that lie. The Bible says that Satan prowls around like a raging lion, seeking whom he may uh, devour, uh, seeking whom he may drag back into the very lifestyle that God saved them from. If you take your eyes off the Lord, if you get your eyes off the word, if you get out of fellowship, if you get out of prayer, it will happen. It happened in Corinth, and Corinth crept back into the church in Corinth, and and, and that was the reason for Paul's first letter to the Corinthian church uh, to confront them for allowing Corinth the Corinthian lifestyle make its way back into their midst. And so, filled with the Holy Spirit, he writes his first letter and he rebukes them. And man, does he rebukes them. He rebukes them once and then he rebukes them again. And then he rebukes them again and again and again and again. I mean, big time whacking going on in, 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 that, in that letter. And, 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 you know, there was divisions in the church. People were dividing up into rival factions and backbiting each other. There was people ripping each other off. And then they sued each other. Their marriages were falling apart. Open sexual morality that everyone knew about. People getting drunk, falling and passing out at at communion. Their church service. which met on Sundays. was scary. There's no order. There's no leadership. Everyone was just coming up with their own agenda, and and, and people were interrupting each other, and, and it was just craziness. And Paul, you know, he just goes through each one of these things, and man, we spent a whole year going through every one of them. And just allowing the Lord to speak to our hearts. And and the letter, uh, though, was uh, so important that you understand, was stained with his own tears. 2 Corinthians 2, verse 4, says that he wrote it with many, not a few, many tears, and with great affliction and anguish in his heart. He was heartbroken. He considered these people his own children. And how heartbreaking it is when you see your own children Children, rebel against the word of the Lord. He was heartbroken that Satan was dragging them back, right back into the muck and the mire which God had lifted them out of. Nothing grieves the heart of a pastor more than to have to witness that. I've seen it more times than I would ever like. A person saved by the Lord, wonderfully saved, enormous potential to bear fruit in the kingdom of God. And then all of a sudden, they start drifting, start making choices against all logic, just defying all logic and reason completely blinded, dragging them back to the very miserable place uh, that the Lord saved them from. So Paul writes his first letter to the Corinthians, to the Corinthians, his letter was delivered. And so here we are. How did they react? What happened? You know, did they freak out? Did they start shaking their fist at Paul? Were they infuriated? Um, You know, what did they do? Did they just go into denial? Did they deny everything? We've seen that before. All of us, I'm sure. A lot of us have spent a good part of our life doing that when confronted with sin. What happened? What was their reaction? You know, I've been in ministry now for many years, and I've got to tell you, I hate confronting people with sin. And I, I, I certainly can't even say I do it particularly well. I, I do it for one reason, because if I didn't, I would be in disobedience to the Word of God. It's, it's my responsibility uh, as, as a pastor. I lose sleep over it. I get all worked up and, you know, thinking about all the possibilities. And, and, and you know, something, I, I'm in good company because, you know, Paul, uh, w- the same thing was happening uh, to, to him. You know, I can think of so many times thinking, you know, are they going to receive it? Are they going to start arguing with me? Are they going to get up, stomp up, and stomp their feet and take off? Are they going to start accusing me of something? Are they going to call me a jerk? Recently, that, that very thing happened. Someone called me a jerk. I don't know, maybe they're on to something. I, I, I need to think about that. But, but uh, I don't know, you know, uh, uh, how would, uh, it, it's, a, it's, it's such a tough thing. And, and we read, actually, in Paul's, uh, in, in this second letter, in this very letter to the Corinthians, that waiting on their response was almost unbearable to him. And, and that's why, that's because he just loved them uh, so much. We read in chapter 2 that he actually sent Titus to Corinth to find out what their uh, reaction was. Unfortunately, you know, Titus, it wasn't like today, you know, he couldn't just get to Corinth and, wow, you know, here's what their reaction was, you know, it's not going good, Paul, you know, whatever, you know, on his cell phone, it it didn't happen. Couldn't happen like that. And and Paul was, he was sweating it out. And, and, you know, really shows us his humanity. The Bible doesn't uh, cover up the humanity of Uh, of the men and women of God that we read about and uh, we read uh, that he he went to this place called Troas where he thought Titus was going to be and it says in chapter 2 verse 13 it says I had no rest in my spirit because I did not find Titus my brother because he wanted to know uh, what had happened. He had given his life for these people for two or three years. He wanted to know, was it all just a waste of time? What was going on with them? Well, we find out actually in chapter 7. Why don't you turn to, with me to chapter 7. Eventually, we will get to verse 1 of 2 Corinthians chapter 1. of. Chapter 7, we find out uh, what their reaction was. It says in verse 5 of chapter 7, Indeed, when we came to Macedonia, so he left Troas, where he thought he was going to see Titus, he went to Macedonia, it says, Our bodies had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Outside were uh, conflicts, Inside were fear. So there's all kinds of other stuff going on as well, where this was just a season of enormous persecution in his life, and people were attacking him, not only physically, but worse. Uh, people were attack- attacking him who were presumably in the body of Christ or holding themselves out to be, and, and they were just attacking his characters, ma- making up lies about him. And he said, uh, outside were conflict, inside were fears, end of verse 5, verse 6. Nevertheless, God, who comforts the downcast, comfort us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the consolation, which means the comfort with which he was comforted in you. So when Titus, we read here that when Titus went to Corinth, he, uh, he was comforted by the Corinthians. There was a good reaction. When he told us, when Titus told us of your earnest desire. Here's the reaction to the first letter. Your uh, mourning, your zeal for me so that I rejoiced even more. Uh, and, and so they had received the letter. They had read it. And they had repented. Praise God. God, and, and it just says He rejoiced. It says they he, they turned back from their backsliding and rebellion and carnality and infighting and everything else that they were had gotten into, and they just turned again to the Lord. That's what the uh, the mercy of God is all about. So I love going through the Old Testament on on, on Sunday nights because. Every single time that a person or uh, or the nation of Israel turned back to the Lord, no matter how bad and a mess that they had made out of their own lives, God always received them. There was times, the Bible says, there's times of refreshing when you turn to the Lord. And and so it it says there in verse 7, they reacted with earnest desire. So with all their hearts and minds and soul, they wanted to change. They, 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 all of a sudden, it, it, the letter just pierced their heart. They wanted to change. And then it continues in verse 7. It says they mourned. They mourned. Blessed are those who mourn. They will be comforted. They realized their, the gravity of their sin, and they actually wept over it. And then it says they had zeal for Paul. So rather than at reacting defensively and, and attacking him, there was an outpouring of support. He could not have imagined a, 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 a better reaction here. Then it doesn't stop there. Look at verse 11. Verse 11. For observe this very thing that you sorrowed in a godly manner. So there is such a thing as sorrowing or feeling sorry for yourself in a worldly manner. I've seen it hundreds of times. Elephant tears. Someone who is just doesn't like the consequences of the sin that they had committed. Someone who doesn't like the consequences of what they were reaping for, for which they had sown. But that wasn't what was going on in Corinth. It said they sorrowed in a godly manner. Verse eleven. What? And then it says, "Here's the key: what diligence it produced in you? What clearing of yourselves? What indignation? What fear? What vehement desire? What zeal? What vindication? In all things, you proved yourself to be clear in this matter." I mean, uh, he, he, you know, it's wonderful how the Lord is. You know, he was at this place when he arrived in Macedonia. It says there were fears within conflict on the outside, but then the Lord gives him a message of of what had happened, how his letter had been received, and and it couldn't have been better. He was just rejoicing. He was just rejoicing here. And I I just want to go briefly, just phrase by phrase, verse 11. It says, what diligence it produced in the Corinthians. What diligence it produced in them. So, when a person receives... Either from another person or by the, directly from God, a confrontation about something in their life which is sin, which is wrong, which is uh, rebellion, uh, and they repent for real. They repent for real in a godly way. They don't react and say, well, "You know, well, I, I'm going to ponder over this a little while." You know, maybe there's some truth in that, and you know, maybe maybe there's some things that I can. Uh, put into place uh, uh, in uh, my life. You know, I, I hear that from time to time. And then every time I do, my heart just sinks. It's so discouraging. You know, you listen to someone just rationalizing and right in front of their eyes. It's just so clear that they need to change. They need to turn to the Lord. Godly repentance means action. It says what diligence it produced in you. A person who is really repentant is energized. They get uh, up off their behinds, as my wife would say, and, and they pour themselves into becoming the man or woman of God that God made them to be. And then it goes on and it says, What clearing of yourselves... Now, that doesn't mean they try to defend themselves. It doesn't mean that they try to salvage their reputation. Uh, Let me tell you, if, if, if someone is really repenting of their sins, they're not trying to salvage their reputation. No, they're crying out for all to hear, I'm guilty. If someone has a godly sorrow, a godly repentance, it, what this means, what clearing of themselves, what it means is they they want to reestablish their witness for Christ. They want to put that light back on and put it on a hill. Take the basket off for everyone to see. My life has changed. And, you know, so often, by the way, uh, and this happens to me uh, a lot, <laughs> you know, I'll do something either with my family, or with a neighbor, or someone at work, or wherever, and it just, I just really blow it big time, and it's so condemning, and discouraging, and you be careful of that, and, and be encouraged with this, that it's important, your witness is so important, not only how you walk with the Lord, but how you recover from stumbling, that's so important, people want to see how you recover from a failure, they want to see how, how a Christian does that. So if you're here this morning, and you blew it this week, you blew it yesterday, maybe you were blew it this morning. Part of your witness is, is how you clear yourselves, as, as Paul says here. How you clear yourselves. How you recover from stumbling. The Christian understands grace and is able to just immediately and without condemnation Moving on, walking with the Lord, forgetting what is behind, striving towards what's ahead, as Paul says. And so then it goes on, it says, what indignation. What indignation. Meaning, they looked on their sin with disgust. You know something? Our sin's not something uh, that we make light of. It's not okay for us to sit around and sort of reminisce. About our life before Christ. Oh yeah, I remember before Christ, I sucked down 20 brewskis one night and I was just so loaded. No, not okay. We don't make light of sin, it's ugly. There's a sanctified indignation about the ugliness of the life that God, that Jesus saved us from. And it's an offense to the Lord when we do that type of thing. So there, there it says what indignation uh, they had. You know, it's amazing how our hearts can harden. You know, when we live a life of sin and our hearts begin to harden, and we don't even realize when we're in it how foul it is. But then we hear a word from the Lord, a brother, or sister, again, directly from, from, from the Lord, the Holy Spirit, or, or in the Word of God, and, and all of a sudden we realize how ugly it is. It says, what indignation. Then it goes on. What fear? What fear? Now, uh, this is a fear of where their sin may have taken them. You know, on a regular basis in my devotion time with the Lord, uh, 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 by God's grace, (laughs) he reminds me of where my sin, my life would have taken me had the Lord not come in and rescued me. And, and I tell you, it just makes me shudder. And, 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 and so it produced that same kind of fear here uh, in, in the Corinthians. And let me tell you, that's not a bad fear. We hear the word fear, and it's a, it's a modern sort of sermon you hear in Christian circles that all fear is bad. No, this is a good fear, a fear of where your sin would have taken you. How could I have been so blind? How, how could uh, look where all of that was taking me? And, and what if the Lord had not opened up my eyes? And, and you know what that produces? It produces worship. It produces worship and gratitude to the Lord. It's a good fear. It's a good, healthy kind of fear. And so then it goes on. What vehement desire. What, what extreme desire. Uh, oh, how they just longed for that life of righteousness, the, uh, the way they once uh, walked in. They hungered and thirsted for the righteousness of God. It continues in verse 11. What zeal. And it says, what vindication. The Greek word uh, there is the word for punishment. It's the same word used in 1 Peter 2.14, which talks about submitting to governors because the the governors are placed uh, over us by God to punish evildoers. That same word, punish. Exact same word here. What punishment. (laughs) What vindication. Listen. Part of real repentance, part of real turning to God is accepting the consequences for that which we have sown. Just saying, I deserve it, I deserve worse. And just accepting it. And, and, and so, you know, uh, trying to weasel our way uh, out of uh, the the consequences that have resulted from what we have done, that's not godly repentance. Now, uh, Psalm 103, verse 10, it's all of our favorite verse, right? It says, uh, God never treats us as our sins deserve. And that is true. We love that verse. But godly repentance means accepting the consequences for what we have done. Tr- just stepping up to the plate and saying, I deserve this. I'll never forget this guy. Excuse me, on death row in Texas. And this is not a statement for or against the death penalty, but he was on death row, and and he was on 2020 ABC, and they were interviewing him, and he was just saying, I deserve this. I killed a person. In cold blood. I knew what I was doing. I deserve this. And, of course, the interviewer was just trying to ask him 20 different ways. And, again, that doesn't mean I support or I'm opposed to the death penalty. But he was like, I deserve it. That's godly repentance. He had been born again, by the way. And that's why he was speaking in a way that uh, the world just couldn't understand. So whether it's, you know, accepting the death penalty or... A traffic ticket. Don't grumble at that cop if you've been speeding. You deserve it. You deserve more. <laughs> and so, uh, uh, it, uh, real godly repentance. It's, it means we're willing to accept the, the punishment. In some cases, being willing to go to that person who deserves the punishment, you know, kids or other, others in our lives, and being able to uh, to, to give the punishment. And so, uh, that was the reaction by the church in Corinth to Paul's first letter. Wow. Wow. You know, as much as I hate confronting people, I got to tell you one of the most, if not the most encouraging things to me is when you confront someone and they just completely are broken. It is just such an encouraging thing because in the natural, we never think it's going to happen. So you're seeing the Lord work right before your eyes. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing. And, 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 but considering where we've been in that first letter and just the mess that these people's lives were, what an encouragement of what the, you know, the Lord hadn't given up on them. The Lord had not given up on them. And so, here's the deal, brothers and sisters. Don't be lost on this point. Paul wrote this letter. It was then as it is today, the Word of God. Do you see what the Word of God can do to your heart? Do you see the effect it can have? Someone at some point in history, that church read that letter, that' 16 chapters, for the very first time. Again, it was the Word of God, then it was the word of God it 's the word of God today to our hearts, and just the effect that it can have on our hearts. You know, Hebrews 4.12 says the word of God is is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit. Brothers and sisters, that's why we emphasize the word of God at Calvary Chapel. Because this, 2 Corinthians, Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, is the effect that the word of God uh, can have, the radical, radical effect. You know, in Second Samuel chapter 11, King David took Bathsheba, the only wife of another man, a man who he respected, a man who he relied upon, and he slept with her. She became pregnant, and he had her husband murdered to cover it up. Now, in the next chapter, in chapter 12, Nathan came to him with a report. A report of a rich man who lived in a city in Israel and the rich man stole the only lamb of a poor man who also lived in his city. And it says in 2 Samuel 12, verse 5, that David's anger was greatly aroused against the man. And he said to the prophet Nathan, as the Lord lives, that man who has done this shall surely die. And the prophet Nathan said to David, thou art the man. You are that man. When the Corinthian church read Paul's first letter, they they heard the Holy Spirit saying the very same thing to their own heart. Thou art the man. You know, every morning when when I get up in the morning and I just praise God for this, I read the Word of God. And it's not because of I'm a pastor, and that's my job. That's not the reason I do it. There's a number of reasons why I do it, and it's just a, it's a, it's a joy. It has just become a daily place of joy for me for years. But one of the reasons that I do it is that I'll open up the, the Word of God and, and, and if there's any area of my life where I'm being disobedient and this happens more often than I'd like, I'll hear the same thing. Steve, thou art the man. And that's not a bad thing. That's a good thing. Because with, with God, there's grace. With the Lord, there's mercy. Always. That's his character. He cannot help but being merciful. Because that's who he is. It's not how we are, but that's who he is. And that's the ministry of the word of God. Second Corinthians has long been, ever since I remember being saved, my favorite book in the Bible. It's always been. And it is just so rich. It's so loaded with passion for the Lord and zeal for the Lord. There's just so much of it. And, and, and to this day, when I go through it, uh, when I was a very young believer, I was just memorized a lot of it, especially in chapters 4 and 5. I just, just I was just so impacted by this letter. And, and I so look forward going uh, through it with you. But, you know, one of the things I, I personally love about ministry about being a pastor, is working with people who really just want to move on with the Lord. I mean, discipling people who are just sick and tired of what the world has to offer, and they, they don't want it anymore. They just want to go on and live for Jesus. And that's what this letter is all about. You know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11, Paul tells the church, When I was a child, I spoke as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I became a man, I put away childish things. And that's what God wants to do with all of us. 2 Corinthians could not possibly be any different from 1 Corinthians. Uh, you know, in the first, he was having to deal with uh, uh, treating them as little children, as babes. Remember First Corinthians chapter three, verse one. If you do, I'll be very impressed. Chapter three, verse one. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to what babes in Christ. And the second letter, Paul no longer has to do that. They had moved on from that. Praise the Lord! Now he can address them as men and women in Christ, and, and that's what God wants to do with every single one of us, with every one of you. He wants to just dress us not as not, not as little kids living in a playpen. He, he he wants to dress us as men and women of Christ who are just moving on. They're not constrained by the four walls of a of a, a little playpen. So maybe you're here this morning, that's where you've been. At some point in your life, you gave your life to the Lord, but now, today, your life reads like the Corinthians at the time of Paul uh, wrote his first letter. You know, Maybe you're involved in, in a sexual relationship outside of marriage. Maybe you are abusing alcohol or drugs. Maybe there's division between you and someone uh, else, someone in the body of Christ or a friend or a family member. Forgiveness, resentment, bitterness. I have good news for you. God wants to pull you out of the playpen and put you on solid ground. He wants to speak to you in this letter that we're beginning to, we're embarking on uh, today. The Lord is not finished with you. He's not finished with you. He wants to complete that which concerns you. And so, uh, uh, why this letter, that's why this letter is such an encouragement to me. It just shows that just because I, just because you have fallen flat on your face, doesn't mean that God is finished with you yet. Now, verse 1 of 2 Corinthians. Let me conclude with this. Verse 1. It says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in all Achaia. Now, I don't want you to lose this. Lose this point. It says, with all the saints who are in all Achaia. You know how this differs from the way the letter to the 1st Corinthians began? First couple verses of 1st Corinthians. That was just written to one church, the church in Corinth. This was written not only to the church in Corinth. But to all the saints who are in Achaia, Achaia that was a, a peninsula. Think f- something like Florida. Actually, it doesn't look too much like Florida, but think about it like that. Corinth was about where Jacksonville is. Okay? And at the very top, Achaia was the whole peninsula. And so this letter is not only addressed to Jacksonville, it's addressed to Miami and Fort Myers and... Uh, and Clearwater in Tallahassee, too. And scholars think there's about a year and a half, or a year, a year and a half, between the first letter and this one. And and so this is what happened. In that short per- period of time, I think this is a demonstration that, that their lives were being fruitful. Whenever you're living in a playpen, your life is not fr- fruitful. Your life isn't fruitful at all. There is no fruit. When you get out, your life begins to expand. You oftentimes don't even see the fruit. It's going forth. You know, Paul, the Lord said to him, I have many drawing to you in the city, and he didn't even know it. And so meanwhile, in a year and a half, you see the church expand, the word getting out. Whenever there's revival, whenever there's people who are growing, whenever there's people who are obedient to the Lord, it doesn't stay with them. It just moves out. It spreads out. And so here, just in a year and a half's time, it may have been more. may have been less. But just in a year and a half's time, here you see it spreading already. That is what the Lord can do with you, even if you have been in the playpen. That's what he can do with you if you just get out and start doing it today. In 18 months' time, there can just be an enormous fragrance Spreading out from your life, oftentimes you don't even know what's happening. It's going from person to person, and, and and again, that is so encouraging to me. That's why I uh, love this letter. He's just speaking to people who have moved on with the Lord. Now there was a a small group, a minority, who insisted on reacting defensively and, and, and starting to accuse Paul and that type of thing, there's always going to be those people. There's always going to be those people. And we'll read about them towards the end of the letter. But uh, the heart of the church had changed and they were already producing fruit when, by the time they received the second uh, letter. So uh, if you are in the place in your life where you feel like you're all washed up I don't know, maybe playpen's the wrong word, but you, you, you just want to move on. We will have a couple people up here after the service. You can pray with them. Or perhaps you have never given your life to Jesus Christ. The Bible says that apart from God, man is lost. He's born out of his mother's womb, after his first birth, he's lost, he or she's lost, that they're conceived in sin, and that, as a parent of five kids, I adore my kids, but I got to tell you, I didn't teach them to lie, cheat, or steal, I start. they started observing that when they were nine months uh, old or something, it just starts to happen, that's because uh, we were born in sin, The Bible says, though, that every single time that we sin, we are incurring a debt, like a credit card, against a holy God. And God's holy. And he must punish, he must judge sin. As we go through our life, 5 years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, we accumulate an enormous mountain of debt against a holy God. He's absolutely holy and just. And the Bible says, he will not let the guilty go unpunished. God's holy and he had to punish our sins. However, God is love. That's a verse in the Bible. God is love. He is love. And so rather than having us pay the penalty for that sin, he gave us a choice by sending his only son, his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to suffer and die and pay the penalty for our sin on the cross. That's the gospel. That's the good news. He was resurrected after three days and now resurrected, living at the right hand of the Father. He will pour out his Holy Spirit, give us the gift of the Holy Spirit, give us a life with his Son. All we have to do is ask. The Bible says that Jesus stands at the door of our heart and he knocks. Any man that opens the door, Jesus will come in. If you haven't done that, do it this morning. God is filled with mercy. All it takes is a prayer of faith. We're not saved by good works, the Bible says, but by a simple prayer of faith okay so if the worship team could come up we'll close us in a a a time of worship and I will now we'll we'll now close in prayer Father I just uh, thank you Lord for this word and how abundant is your mercy how uh, how your love stretches from east to west and Lord your your word says that as far as East is from the west, Lord. You have removed our sins from us, Lord, even as we have given our lives to Christ. And Father, I just, I know I speak for everyone in this room, Lord. We want to live for you. We want our lives to have purpose. We want to let go. And Father, we do need your grace To do that, Lord, we want to be addressed as, not as babes in Christ, not as children, but as men, as women. And Father, I pray this morning that you just bring us to that place. God, in the way that only you know how to bring us to that place. Lord, will we let go of anything, Lord, that is hindering that taking place in our life, Lord. We just thank You that in Your Word, over and over, it is declared that's a free gift, Lord. Father, we thank You for the cross. We thank You for Your Son. We thank You for the life that we have in Him. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. everyone could uh, just.